chapter 4 and verse 14. As a reminder, there will not be corporate prayer on Tuesday, but we are having a church work night to get the kitchen ready for the new flooring. And uh, I know I had told you the other day that we were going to be tearing out cabinets and so on and so forth. And just come ready to work because I'm not sure if we're going to do that yet or not. Because ordering new cabinets is about eight to ten weeks out. And I don't know that we want to be without cabinets for eight or ten weeks. And if we build cabinets, then that's going to take some time as well. So just come ready to work. Just come ready to work. Jesus' name. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Three of the most powerful words in Scripture. It is the declaration of why he could become the sacrificial lamb of God. Yet, without sin. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. I'm going to preach this morning with the help of the Lord. Therefore, come boldly. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. God, I magnify your name. I praise your name. Thank you for your word, God, that gives us clarity, that orders our thoughts and our steps, God, that is our daily bread. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place today. Thank you for everyone that is here who braved this snowy weather. God, to come and be with you in your house, and I pray that you would honor their diligence in being in the house of the Lord. God, I pray you'd honor their faithfulness. God, by continuing to meet us here. God, continue to meet us here today. I pray, Lord, that you would touch, that you would minister. God, touch and minister to our minds, our spirits, our broken places, our infirmities. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Why don't we all say amen? Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Hebrews 4, specifically the three verses that I read are not unfamiliar. I'm sure you have heard or read those before, but in an effort to build a solid foundation, we're going to look at some contextual 
scriptures that we can find in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. You see, this morning, Jesus was not just a shell of a man. He was not a phantom being that the divine lived in. He was a real man in every way, except he was without sin. He took part in experiencing life. He took part in experiencing loss. The way that you and I have experienced life and loss. In fact, when his friends Mary and Martha, who the synoptic gospels all record that he loved them very much, his friends Mary and Martha lost their brother, Lazarus, to a sickness. They were Hurting, John chapter 11 records that Jesus, when he came to them, he saw Mary weeping. He saw the other Jews that were with her weeping. He had been confronted by Martha. Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. He had uh, experienced the, uh, the, the, the yearning from them. God, I wish you would have been here to heal him. And, and he felt that even though he knew he purposely delayed his trip to Bethany. The disciples said, Jesus, we've got to go. They loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Jesus, we've got to go. He is sick. You've got to be there in order to heal them. And he said, he's sleeping. Well, if he's sleeping, then he's getting rest. But we got to get there. He said, no, he's dead. Jesus broke it down. Even He, he, he cut the cream off of the statement. He's dead. gets there. Lazarus was his friend too. Mary and, Mar Mary and Martha were his friends too. He sees them weeping even though he knows what he's going to do. He had purposely delayed his trip not just to prove himself to be a healer. They knew he could be a healer. But he asks Martha, Martha, do you believe he can be resurrected? Lord, I know that in the, at the second coming he's going to be resurrected, but do you believe it can happen now? I know that, that you know I'm a healer. I'm, I'm thankful that you know me to be a healer, but do you believe that I can stretch out my hand and I can resurrect him from, from the dead? I, I can bring him back to life. I, I need to. And so Jesus, in spite of being friends with them, in spite of knowing that this is going to inflict pain on them, I'm going to delay. That way the testimony can be even greater. Amen. Jesus sees Mary and the other Jews weeping. And the Bible says, the Bible tells us, you heard me preach it the other night, that, that I believe God has emotions. We're created in His image, in His likeness. He created us emotional beings. We see that as He's manifest in the flesh, He's troubled in his spirit when he hears and sees them crying, weeping, mourning, death of Lazarus. He had real 
feelings, with real emotions. He groans in the Spirit. The shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five, 35, says Jesus wept in spite of knowing he's getting ready to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's weeping because his friends are weeping. He is mourning with those who are mourning. He is weeping with those who are weeping. Troubled with those who are troubled. He's more than a phantom. More than some shell. It's, I, I believe that our, our perception may have been... Uh, Watered down. You see, companies like DC, Marvel, and Hollywood, and so on and so forth, have made millions and billions of dollars uh, by, by taking a character who is merely human and giving them supernatural abilities and calling them superheroes. And so we think that things like that are just mythological. But Jesus is more than a shell. He's more than a figment of someone's imagination to make money and, and create entertainment. He's, he's, he's not a, an entertaining being. He is a, a God manifest in flesh. Not a God, but the God. He's more than a phantom being in a body. He is without sin. He is God manifest in flesh. And yet without sin so that he could like the writer of Hebrews says in verse 15, deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage in bonds of sin. Bondage to sin was all that we as humanity had known prior to that our entire Lifetimes, Paul said, they were bound by the fear of death because there was a void. There was a chasm between God and man that had not been breached. Their sins were just pushed back, and so they are left wondering, have I done something that I haven't sacrificed for? They're making efforts in and of themselves to redeem, deliver them through fear of death for all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. It was not as if he came down to earth from heaven in a meteor and hit the earth and it cracked open like some alien life form and out popped little baby Jesus. It was not that he translated himself from heaven to earth but he took on the form, the seed of man, the seed of Abraham. So that yet without sin, yet being born into sinful flesh, yet without sin, while he was in the flesh, overcame sin, overcame death. 
Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. He was made like you and I are made that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Another place in Scripture said that he was reconciling the world unto himself. That he came in likeness to you and I. That he would be tempted like you and I are tempted. Yet without sin. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He's able to help those that are tempted because he knows what it feels like to be tempted. That's the context that Paul is, many believe it's Paul, writing to the Hebrew church. So then in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, He said, seeing then that we have a great high priest, the writer of Hebrews is saying that what Jesus did, what was done by the Messiah, supersedes Judaism. It supersedes the old covenant. This is not the old covenant. This is the old covenant revealed. This is the old covenant fulfilled. This is the new covenant. It's no longer about the circumcision of flesh. It's about the circumcision of your heart. It's about the circumcision in the places that men and women cannot look into. It's about something that takes place on the inside of me. Because it's not just about works, lest any man should boast. But show me your faith by your works. He said, I, you got to mingle it together. He said, you can't do it on your own. You're not going to be able to work your way into heaven. You're not going to be able to teach your way into heaven. You're not going to be able to preach your way into heaven. You're not going to be able to give your way into heaven. Let me just break it down to where we live. You can't sweep the church floor long enough to make your way into heaven. You can't wash the windows of the church long enough to make your way into heaven. You can't sweep the parking lot. You might get a little sand shovel and go out there and shovel all that snow out of the parking lot, but you have not earned your way into heaven. It's not about works, lest any man should boast, saying, look at what I did to make it to heaven. He said, but there might be some that come to the vineyard at the very last days. You might be 105 and get a revelation of baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, being immersed, baptizo in the water for the remission of your sins. And God would gloriously fill you. And your reward is the same eternal life that someone who was born in a Sunday school room might have. We've got a great high priest that superseded with a new covenant. So that we are not made clean by the blood of bulls and goats. But there was a spotless lamb that was sacrificed on a rugged tree with 
with spikes drove uh, through, driven through his, uh, his hands and his feet tied and beaten. Uh, royal uh, crown of thorns put on his head. Uh, uh, symbols of royalty spread around. They parted his garments. They cast lots. They beat him. They spit on him. The spotless lamb. Uh, yet his bones were not broken to fulfill prophecy. Uh, you can't, uh, the Jehovah of the old, uh, Jesus has become uh, my salvation. It supersedes uh, the law of the flesh. It supersedes the laws of my mind. There's a war within my members. But it supersedes. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest. We do have a high priest, but he's not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings. There was that word feelings again. Touched with the feelings. Those words combined are Greek word that means to have a fellow feeling with or sympathize with. The Greek word, which I'm going to butcher, is sympathio. Sounds an awful lot like sympathize or sympathy. We don't have a high priest that, that cannot be touched or that cannot sympathize with our infirmities or our weakness, our frailty, our want of strength, our lack of strength, our illnesses, our sufferings, and our calamity. It encompasses physical infirmities. It encompasses emotional infirmities, moral infirmities, spiritual infirmities. He can sympathize. Because he was in all points tempted like as we are. The English Standard Version puts verses 14 and 15 this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Every time you're tempted, whether it's the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, or the pride of life, I believe in the mind of God, he, he goes back to the wilderness. In the words of Satan, if you really are the Son of God, turn these stones to bread. That's the lust of my flesh. Thus saith. If you really are the Son of God, just... Just look out there. I mean, you see all those riches? I'd give them to you if you just bow down and worship. It is written. That's the pride of life. Oh, just, just throw yourself. Carefree. Look loose. 
fancy free. Just throw yourself. If you're really God, the angels will catch you before you hit the ground. His mind goes back to those temptations that he faced. And he's saying, whatever your temptation looks like today, it fell into one of those three categories, and I overcame them. He said, I overcame that. Every time you're tempted, he overcame that. Yet without sin, doesn't matter what you're tempted with, he overcame that. Every sin imaginable is going to fall into one of those three categories. It's either the lust of your flesh, the lust of your eyes, or the pride of life. It's going to fall into one of those three categories. And friend, he overcame that yet without sin. He was tempted yet without sin. Those three words, yet without sin. I don't have to fall into temptation because he did not fall. He made a way of escape. Out sin. He's been tempted in every way like you and I are tempted. Verse 16 in the King James Version says, Let us therefore come boldly. I've preached everything I've preached to get to this point, and I am closer to being done than you imagine. That was quick. And I didn't even say I wasn't going to preach long. Let us, that's you and I, therefore, or because of all of that, because he was tempted in every point like you and I, yet without sin, because of that we, you and I, all of humanity now, can come boldly unto the throne of grace. Now when we think of that in our English American minds, we think, man, I'm walking in with my chin held high. Hey, Lord, <laughs> that I can just walk in with whatever I, I can walk in with my grocery list because I'm coming in boldly before the throne. Right. I'm coming in with my shoulders square. I'm storming the beaches of heaven with a bayonet between my teeth. Doesn't that feel American? Ran into some guys yesterday. They said, man, we just saw four bald eagles. Those guys felt like Americans. Like you, it was written all over their face. I mean, they were ready for anything. One of them said, hey, Siri, launch all of our nuclear warheads. They were feeling it. They felt like Americans. That's the way we think of it. I'm coming boldly. Charge hell with a water pistol. That's not what that word boldly means, unfortunately. The writer of Hebrews hasn't forgotten the frailty of mankind when he said, let us therefore come boldly. He's saying, listen, you're going to come into church with some issues. You're going to come into the house of God with some problems. Let me, let me preach it. That word boldly is a Greek word that means after, with. 
It means a change. It's implying a change afterward. After what? After I get to the throne of grace, I'll be changed. It looks toward the after effect. It looks toward the change. It looks toward the result. It looks toward the fact that I might come in bloodied and bandaged. I might come in with physical ailments. I might come in with mental ailments. I might come in with emotional issues and spiritual issues. And and I might have fallen. I might have been tempted. I might have fallen into sin. But he said, don't you let that stop you from getting to the throne. You don't have to be perfect to get there. But there's a change that's going to come after you get there. You may not walk in with your shoulders square and your chin held high. You may not walk in full of adrenaline. You might walk in full of shame. You might walk in full of guilt. You might walk in full of turmoil. You might walk in full of confusion. But you keep on walking. You keep on marching. You get to where he's at. And you're going to leave changed. I don't have to try to get it all right before I can come to God. I don't have to try to get good to get God. But honey, I got to get God so I can get good. I'm coming in with all of my hang-ups. I'm coming in with all of my problems. I'm coming in with all of my turmoil. Because this is the place I ought to be. Don't let the devil lie to you and say, you know what? You messed up too much this week. You got to stay home today. That's a lie from hell because he understands what's going to happen when you get there. He understands what's going to happen when you get to the throne of grace. Why? Because the throne of grace literally means a throne or a seat. It's a chair of state. It's having a footstool. It's a throne of royalty. Jesus said, it's reiterated in Acts chapter 7. Verse 49, which I didn't give the sound, guys. I'm sorry. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. He's a big God. You take that into context with my frailty. You take that into context with my infirmities. You take that into the context that he knows exactly what you're feeling. That's what the Word says. That's not what the pastor says. That's what the Word says. He knows exactly what you're feeling because he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so he made a way for humanity to come in with their depravity. He made a way for them to come in with their guilt, for us to come in with our shame, to a throne of grace, to a throne of kindness that is inclined It's inclined in a favorable manner toward humanity. It leans is what grace means. It leans toward a shared benefit. Some have called it unmerited favor. It means that he is freely extending to give himself. It's all in the definition. I'm not making it up today. But it means he's freely extending to give himself away to his people. 
come to the throne of grace boldly. You come in with your problems. You come in looking for a change afterward. I don't have to come to the house of God and leave the same way, but I can come to the house of God knowing if I can make it, he'll change me. If I can come to the footstool, he'll change me. There's a change coming afterward. The throne of grace speaks of receiving what we do not deserve. I deserve judgment. I don't deserve mercy. I deserve death because the wages of my sin is death. But the gift... He's inclining towards sharing it. It's the gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Speaking of receiving not what we deserve, but rather the mercy of God. When I come to the throne, I come with my issues. When I come to the throne, I come with my problems. I come with my temptations. I come with my sins. with my frailty. Therefore, you come boldly. Therefore, you come with expectation. I don't let those things stop me. But I come with my concerns. In spite of my problems, in spite of my concerns, in spite of my issues, in spite of my imperfections, I come. Let's stand. In spite of those things, I'm approaching his throne. I'm coming expecting to be changed. Not because he's going to give me what I deserve, but I'm coming to a place that's better than fair. Fair is that I get what I deserve. That's fair. That's, that's the world in which you and I live. They got what was coming to them. There's a level of self-satisfaction when that happens. That's not where we need to be in God. It's not the way that God operates. He said, I'm not going to give you what, I, what you deserve. I'm going to give you what I bought. I bought your redemption. I paid for your redemption. And I'm sitting on my throne and I'm inclined to give you a gift. A gift of mercy. A gift of grace. A gift of unmerited favor. A gift of redemption. I can come expecting to be changed because I'm not getting what I deserve. But because of His mercy, I'm leaving better than how I came in. Is it any wonder that we come in to the house of God or we came in or maybe you haven't? Just listen to what I'm going to say. It'll make sense. But 
Maybe you haven't yet. But you can come in like I did. Like your neighbor did. With our problems. With our sin. With our guilt. In our degenerated state that sin had brought us to. And I can come in, come up to the altar, and I can lift my hands, which is a sign of surrender. I can say, God, I need you to forgive me. I got issues, I got problems. I'm a sinner. But that's not enough. That's not where it ends. I can come in to the throne of grace. And he can say, when you're baptized in my name, we're baptized in his name because that's where all of the authority and the power is. In the name. It's not in a title. It's in the name. And I'm baptized in his name for the remission, which means that all of my sins are washed away as if they never happened. I didn't deserve that. I deserve death for the wages of sin was death, is death. But the gift of God, He's inclined to give it to me. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to plead for it. Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The evidence of which is speaking in a heavenly language. You've never learned. It's God taking control of my tongue. I can come boldly before the throne of grace because I know that I don't have to leave the same way. I wonder this morning if we would make our way to the altar with, with whatever's going on in your world, whatever's, whatever's happened this week, whatever's happened this weekend, whatever happened today, this morning maybe even, you just come to the throne of God. You say, God, I don't want to leave the same way. I need you right now. I want to come in expecting change. God, I, I expect for you to move. I know you want to move in my life. And, and God, I want to let you. God, I want to let you.